Okay, here we go. We're going to be talking about the road to Emmaus, if you didn't already guess that. (laughs) So we're looking at Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. So Luke 24, 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, or six if you're looking at that video. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Okay, so you might remember that last week Aaron spoke from John 20 and we heard a little bit about the aftermath from the Easter story. The disciples were locked away, fearful of who would come after them next, wondering what would come of their lives now. Everything had gone so horribly wrong, so it seemed. Then Jesus appeared to them after they had heard from the women. It took them a moment to realise that they were right. Jesus had in fact rose again. Then we heard about Thomas, who wasn't with the rest of the disciples at the time. And when he heard the others share their encounter with Jesus, it took him a little while to come around. And actually, not until Jesus appeared to Thomas did he believe. We remember that, right? So today we pivot a little, a little bit like one of those movies where we watch the story unfold in the perspective of one person. And then after that runs through, it rewinds back and shows the same story, but from the perspective of another character. Here we read about two other disciples, Cleopas and his unnamed friend. Around the same time that we read about the happenings in Jerusalem and Jesus appearing to the disciples after the turn of events over the past weeks, 
Passover is finished. Their journey with Jesus seems all over and done, despite that brief crazy moment with the women believing Jesus had somehow risen from the grave. But Jesus was nowhere to be found, so any glimmer of hope was rapidly diminishing by now. What they once thought would be life-changing, not only for themselves, but the nations for now and always, the one they'd all been waiting for now was lying in a tomb. In the minds of these two weary travellers, there was nothing left to do but accept that life now looks very much like returning to their hometown and taking up their former roles in society. Their walk with Jesus, a fond memory of what could have been. You can imagine as they journey together the grief, the disappointment, the if-onlys that would have consumed their thoughts and conversation. I stopped for a moment and thought about what they must have been feeling. Surely, we've all experienced a feeling of loss at some stage in our lives. It could be the kind of loss that comes suddenly, a change of plans forced upon you that you weren't expecting, but the consequences are big. Maybe you weren't planning to have to find a new home, to have a child, to not have a child. Maybe a car accident changes your everyday capabilities, an injury or medical episode. Maybe you've lost a partner, a child, a family member or friend that leaves you sitting defeated asking, what am I supposed to do now? There's also the type of grief that falls upon us when we come to an understanding that a season in life is over. Perhaps a season of life when everything just felt good and right. Life was really happening. You were part of something that transformed you and even those around you. It changed the way you look at life and you had purpose. But now that time feels over and you don't know what life is supposed to look like now. In these times, it's so easy to focus on the past and what could have been, if only... Or maybe you focus on how to hold on to whatever is left in hopes that you can somehow get back to that sweet spot again. That's what these two were doing on the road to Emmaus. As they trudged along the road, there was no positive outlook. There was no forward thinking about what they were travelling towards, what opportunities might unfold in their future. They were just simply grieving everything that they had lost. So then what happens? Well, in verse 15, it begins saying, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still with their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. So wait, now Jesus appears, right? Literally walking alongside them. And he talks to them. And what's the first thing they do? They they don't even look at him properly. They don't notice his face. They see his wounded hands, none of that. 
They don't recognise his voice, nothing. They fall straight into their grief narrative though. How could you not know about the troubles we've seen? Everything was looking up and now everything is ruined. They don't recognise the risen Christ walking alongside them at all. So overcome with their own grief and mindset that they can't set a sea past it into their present situation. Now, I think it's really interesting what happens next. Jesus responds to all their self-pity and grief by turning to something that they know or should know so well. And that's scripture. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I think Jesus could have swatted the two travellers over the head and said, "Ah, hello, it's me. He could have done a song and dance if he wanted to or simply just shown them his hands and feet. But instead, he chose not to reveal his identity yet. He brought them back to scripture. What have the scriptures taught us about believing? What have the scriptures told us about the whole narrative leading up to the Messiah's coming? Jesus knew that this next step for his disciples, and everyone for that matter, was to start discovering what life would look like without the physical presence of Jesus. It probably wouldn't have been helpful for him to appear instantly and gratify their grief. For he knew that these moments were fleeting before they were carrying on in the world, hopefully continuing his work with the help of the Holy Spirit. So these two, along with all the others, needed to lift their heads outside of their grief of the what-ifs and the if-onlys towards the future with all the evidence and the teachings that began way back in the narrative that began with Moses. Along the way, they had lost their belief. And not even the real risen Jesus, walking alongside them, opened their eyes to the truth, yet. So then, as they approach the village, Jesus naturally just continues on as if he's not stopping there. But the two at least had it in them to offer some hospitality and ask the incognito Jesus to stay with them for the night. So Jesus kindly accepted. Naturally, after a day of travel, it was time to settle down for a feed. And here the story swings again. Sitting at the table, Jesus takes the bread, he says grace, he breaks it in and to hand out. And it was in that moment that all of a sudden the light bulbs switch on. The very same Jesus they were mourning over was right there in front of them. In fact, they were complaining to him on the road. But just as soon as they recognised the truth sitting right there in their company, he vanishes from their sight. So then they're left asking each other, wait, were our hearts not burning with us, within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Basically, how on earth did we miss him right here with us? And in that instant, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem immediately. They were desperate to tell the other disciples that they too had seen the risen Jesus like the women had said. And of course, it goes on to say that when they told the others, they too said that Jesus had appeared to Simon also and their belief began to increase again. What a roller coaster ride the weeks leading to Jesus' crucifixion would have been. But also, this journey afterwards was just as big for the 12 or the 11 and many around them. 
so much so that they fell into disbelief. Now remember, we've talked about the idea that belief is a doing word. It requires an action of the heart, not just of the conscious mind. So these disciples had become inactive in their belief. In their grief and in their disbelief, they began to feel sorry for themselves and they began to look backwards and they missed everything that was happening in their present. Now, I feel like there's a lot here that we can relate to in one way or another. I wonder if you can think of a time when you fell into disbelief or maybe you're hearing these words this morning and you can recognise that you're in that place right now. The true travellers show us a very clear example of how we can feel defeated and lost, wondering what we're going to do now that everything has changed and begin to hold on to things or people of the past simply to gratify us in the right now. But the problem is while we're holding on to those things of the past or while we're sitting in our grief, we begin to miss what's happening in our current time. We begin to get left behind as others grow tired of appealing to us in our misery And we move further and further away from everything that we know about God and the life that he promises us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, just for a moment, I want to get really real with you. There was a time in my life when I was at my lowest of low. I was living a life of suffering and the trauma was literally controlling my life, so much so that I began to fall into disbelief. In fact, there were days that I had lost all hope and began to question whether it was even worth continuing on in life at all. Unfortunately, this meant that in my grief, I was beginning to drag others into that mess too. I began to tell my family that I was a burden and they'd be better off without me. And worse still, I began to blame them for not understanding the suffering that I was going through. And I began to give up on life altogether. I stopped participating in anything and I stopped recognising the blessings and the possibilities in my present and future. It was a really dark time. It took a long time for me to begin realising that I had removed a significant thing out of my life and that was Jesus. I knew that I couldn't continue like this, hurting myself and hurting those around me. So I decided to start a new thing. I began to ask Jesus to come back into my heart much like the disciples who invited the incognito Jesus to stay with them. I began to pray and I opened the word, the invitation. One that Jesus gladly accepted and it was then that my eyes were opened again. I started to see Jesus working in my life. I saw where he was blessing me despite the struggles I was having. Despite knowing that I would never be the person I used to be, I began to believe that this new season had a place for me to discover more fully my identity in Christ. The result of that invitation was that I had come to, to understand better that I had, than I had before, that the more I rested on him, the more I drew myself into proximity to him, the more I understood his purpose for me and who I needed to be going forward. This reality has journeyed with me across many seasons now as change has become a natural part of my life. Often I feel unprepared, unequipped and at times unsupported and unaccepted. But what I do know with complete certainty is that God doesn't call us to give up on him when seasons change or when trouble comes. It's actually the direct opposite. When things seem hopeless, when our plans unravel and we feel completely out of control, 
that's when we go back to what we know to be true, foundational, trustworthy and unchanging. We go back to the scriptures, the word of God, and we go back to prayer. It is only then that our eyes are open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst right now. It is only then that we encounter God and feel the Spirit working in us. There is absolutely nothing wrong with reminiscing the past. We all do it with the help of memories and photos and friends who have journeyed with us for a long time. But there is a problem with it if it's pigeonholing your heart and mind into ignoring the present and future. On Tuesday night in our small group, we were talking about the idea that wherever God is, the enemy cannot be. The two do not exist in harmony with each other, not even a little bit. So in theory, if we are constantly drawing ourselves to him through the word and prayer, then the enemy finds it harder and harder to maintain his control. It also creates another tension though, in that those who are living in proximity with God begin to see others with Jesus' eyes, which is a good thing. But those who are not living in that same God proximity begin to struggle to dwell in the darkness and live in harmony with others. And it brings us back to the darkness and light lesson, really. The heavenly battle becomes an earthly one, where good and evil tussle and divisions grow. These types of divisions can happen in our families, in our friendship groups and in our church. And this is why it's so important not only as a worshipping community, but also as a community that represents a Jesus culture to those in our wider community to press into Jesus. The disciples knew Jesus intimately while he was walking on the earth. It wasn't the plan for them to forget everything and go back to their previous lives. They were the only ones to continue the ministry, sharing the good news with everyone they met, Holy Spirit guiding and working through them. So there will be times where we fall into grief. Sometimes it will be grief so deep that it will rock us into unbelief. The disciples on the road to Emmaus are a clear example of this reality. And if you feel like you might be sitting in a place of unbelief today, I want to encourage you to take up the advice of Jesus and get back to the word. Our Bible is a living word that speaks into our past, present and future. The scriptures speak to us. They inform us and they can give us the answers we're looking for in our time of need. I invite you to open the invitation to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or once again. Invite him to your table, into your heart and allow him to open your eyes to his plan for your life.